Hello and welcome to Hyped, the podcast for the culturally curious that turns a critical eye on some of the most hyped books, plays, films, TV shows, and music of recent years. Join us as we work out where these cultural trends have come from and what they reveal about modern society. I'm Zoe Strimple, columnist, dating expert, and historian of gender in modern Britain. And I'm Tom Stammers, a historian of France and a general cultural glutton with a weakness for all things 19th century. Zoe and I have been consuming and debating culture together ever since we were at university, uh, which now feels like it belongs to ancient history. Yes, I think you were possibly Ozymandias when we started, (laughs) Tom. Um, (laughs) This week we're discussing Stormzy's 2019 chart-topping album, Heavy is the Head. Stormzy, who was 26, is a rapper and songwriter born in Croydon, South London, uh, born with the name Michael Ebenezer Kwajo Omari Uou Jr. Why are we making such a fuss about Stormzy? Stormzy, dubbed by The Guardian as the country's unofficial poet laureate, was the first black British rapper to headline at Glastonbury in 2018. His first album, Guns, Signs and Prayers, went to number one in the charts, and Heavy as the Head also went straight to number one, um, and it was a huge commercial success. He has appeared on the cover of magazines from GQ to Time, which profiled him as one of the leaders of his generation. Stormzy has also been politically active. Um, He was a vocal supporter for Jeremy Corbyn, um, the former Labour leader, and he's known now for his fuck Boris, fuck the government declarations um, at at his performances. Here, a little bit of Stormzy now. This is Vossi Bop, the first chart hit um, from this album. My brothers don't die, we just rusty butt. I tell you, I got to link me at the coffee shop. Getting freaky in the sheets, we're taking body shots. Then I finish with a fish, we just to top it off. Hey, my brothers don't die, we just rusty butt. I tell you, got to link me at the coffee shop. Getting freaky in the sheets, we're taking body shots. Then I finish with a fish, we just to top it off. Hey, you ain't got a clue, let's be honest. After that taster, let me just add some of the critical praise that's been heaped on this. Um, NME, uh, in their review, said that Stormzy comes out swinging with his second album. It's big, it's broad, and it's mostly brilliant. GQ, who have a close relationship with Stormzy, insists that on this album, Stormzy isn't just an artist, he's a leader, very much in the spirit of that piece in time. And I'd just like to read um, a little quote from Zadie Smith, uh, who was responding to his performance at Glastonbury. Um, This is Zadie Smith in The New Yorker. Uh, For this was about arrival, she says of his performance, of a king and his court and the many, many people who have hoped for this day when the hyphenated black British would appear to the English ear as permanent and central a condition as African-American. So for her, this is a seminal moment in the emergence of black British culture. Um, The question though, Zoe, is what did you make of the album? Did you like it? Well, exactly. I think those are two slightly different questions, what I made of it and whether I liked it. I think there's plenty to make of it. It's it's interesting and we'll talk about that. In terms of whether I liked it, you know, I didn't love it. I did not love it. I I thought it was a mixed bag. Um, Musically, it's a bit um, flat or, or sort of lacking in depth for me and I speak as someone who really likes uh, other grime artists and and hip-hop and rap he's obviously very interesting in terms of his wordiness and his pretensions of grandeur um, his, his references even to Henry VIII but for me musically 
bit boring, bit lacking in spine or interest or, 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 or thematic depth, really. And I think some of the stuff I love the most in, in rap um, is when different types of music are, are sort of sampled and brought in and there's moments of melodiousness to, to counterpoint the, the kind of bass line and the, and the beat, which can be quite um, monotonous. Uh, and I think there's a bit too little of that here. I do really like his dancey, fast-paced tracks. There's quite a lot of R&B on this album, and I, I don't, I just didn't love that. I don't think he's a great R&B guy, and I think he should stick to the the fast things um, like Audacity, which we'll get to a bit later. What did you think, Tom? I think exactly as you say, Zoe. There's a tension between these two personae. There's Stormzy, who is this, you know, very ballsy, larger-than-life kind of icon of a generation. And then there's another part of him that wants to say that, oh, I'm tender and I'm vulnerable. Uh, the kind of the part that calls himself, you know, Big Michael or uh, Rachel's little brother. He has this identity of being a kind of ordinary guy underneath this kind of the bravado of being Stormzy. And it does mean that the album swings between these kind of assertions of cockiness and arrogance. And then these moments that you say are much more R&B that are almost kind of crooning in a way. Uh, and for me, sometimes I agree, those bits felt a little bit flat. Um, to go back to what you said before though, Zoe, I think it's really interesting that this album is more than just a piece of music. I think what it points to is that we're on the brink of a much bigger cultural moment. And it's a cultural moment which is transatlantic, but nonetheless, this is a real kind of turning point for the visibility of black British artists and grime as a genre now being something that looks like it might indeed not just be a huge force in Britain, but actually something that might kind of cross the Atlantic as well. So I think whether, whatever you think about hip hop or about grime, I think people need to start taking this stuff more seriously because it is indicative of a much bigger um, cultural shift. I often think there's a little bit of academic snobbery about listening to hip hop uh, or thinking seriously um, about this kind of music, despite the fact in 2017, I should say, Kendrick Lamar won the Pulitzer Prize for music uh, for his album Damn. Uh, this is the first non-jazz first non-classical album to win a Pulitzer Prize. Um, clearly, this stuff is being taken intellectually seriously in some corners of the press and public opinion. And I think all of us need to prick up our ears. And I just wonder if there's maybe a tension between what people want when they are supporting calls to widen out uh, curricula and decolonize curriculums and things like that, and what's actually going on in some of these lyrics. I mean, someone like AJ Tracy is... I mean, I blush when I, if, if I don't feel queasy when I listen to some of his lyrics about uh, women and, and their body parts. It's an old tr thing to say, but there can be quite a lot of misogyny uh, in, in, in this kind of music. Domsey sort of doesn't really do that. But, but I think there's a problem that some of these people who want to embrace black culture, and by that I mean white academics, maybe would find if they listened that some of the lyrics don't suit other aspects of their of their politics. I think it's also strange because I think there is something to be said for the idea that these are the poet laureates of our time. These are the lyrics that chronicle lives today, or at least aspects of it, our cities, our country, the state of the nation. And even as an undergraduate myself in my third year, I was doing English literature and, I, and practical criticism was a big part of that. And in my final practical criticism exam, I wanted to, and in fact, I did do some practical criticism on some rap lyrics. I think at the time it was I was trying to do salt and pepper or something like that. <laughs> but it did. It struck me then. Like I'm, I'm here. I'm studying Shakespeare. I'm studying you know all kinds of poets. Um, I, I want to bring. I want to do something contemporary. That's that's their kind of equivalent in a way. And and to me that felt like lyrics that came from the world of 
rap. And I suppose if I'd been cooler then, I would have known about grime. Yeah, and I think that anxiety about the genre is linked to its origins. Um, Just to state, for those who don't know, grime is a musical genre that people think began in the early 2000s, very much in London, very much associated with quite kind of dark, gritty kind of urban subject matter. Um, It derives um, in Britain from earlier movements in British music like Garage in the 90s, um, has got some relationship to kind of dubstep. Um, And what characterizes it is by the role of the MC. So it's done it in a frenetic beat, something like 140 beats per minute. Um, And usually uh, with the role of this MC who is driving uh, the performance forward. The big breakthrough at the early noughties was with um, Dizzy Rascal, who actually aged only 18, managed to get the kind of Mercury Prize in 2003. And then you had other breakthrough artists like Wiley um, or indeed uh, Lethal Bizzle. However, uh, I should say, I mean, yes, hearing me say the words lethal. Yeah, I think there's just something, I think that's why academics stay away from it, so they don't have to be caught being so white and saying lethal bizarre. No, that's I know. I feel like, I feel like you said Matt it well, Hancock, Tom. Matt Hancock shouting out to Stormzy. It's that embarrassing. <laughs> However, the key thing is that so Grime had this big kind of efflorescence at the start of the noughties, um, but there was then a bit of a backlash around 2005, 2006, um, partly in the wake of people. I think somebody was shot at one of the So Solid Crew concerts. And as a result, there was an anxiety that this music was going arm in arm with gun crime, that it might be related to forms of drug taking, that it was kind of glamorizing violence. And so there was a bit of a kind of cultural backlash against it, um, including uh, it was actually quite difficult for grime artists to perform. I think Lethal Bizzle, my friend whose name drips off my tongue, Lethal Bizzle's POW, uh, which you know has since gone on to be a kind of big, uh, big sort of protest song, actually wasn't played on the radio for quite a while, and um, because people were anxious about the contents. There were exactly there were police restrictions um, to to what to what um, those grime artists could do, and I think it's the same with drill now, isn't it, Tom? Drill, which is the the slightly kind of more sinister cousin to grime, also very close association with with police and crime, which makes it uh, harder to perform and also much more politically loaded. Absolutely. There was a, I think it's called Form 696 that the Metropolitan Police had that basically could stop an event going ahead if they were worried that the music and indeed the ethnicity of the MC might be inciting public disorder. So there's been a, there's been a lot of controversy around the live performance of this music at the end of the, um, the, the sort of years 2000. But from about sort of five years ago, grime has gone from being this sort of dangerous minority product to now a thing which is really moving into the cultural mainstream. Um, as well as Stormzy, we might think of a huge artist like Skepta, who indeed won uh, the Mercury Music Prize back in 2016. Um, so what this album represents is the most sort of publicly acceptable face of a much bigger revival. Um, what did you make of Stormzy's persona in this, Zoe, in that we see him on the cover with his crown, the vest designed for him by Banksy that he wore at Glastonbury. Um, what do you get, what sort of sense do you get of this braggadocio kind of person? Listening several times now to this album, um, I, I don't think he's quite as commercial at least he, I don't think he's as interested in in materialism um, in such an obvious way as some yeah. as some others. I mean, AJ Tracy has the most divine chart topping song on right now called "Dinner Guest," which I love. It's one of my favorite songs, but it opens with a line about Cart- be having Cartier specs 
um, and a turtleneck. And, par- and then it says, parents always want me as a, or always love me as a dinner guest. And it's he, the very first way he identifies himself is through his Cartier specs. And there's really very little, if any of that, in Stormzy. So it is a bit different. He is positioning himself a bit differently. And he is offering a kind of Corbyn-approved, just about, politics and on top of that he's he's as as a as a someone who's in this in this world of grime and rap where it's so off it's so common to 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 roast and write and brag and you know rap about as i say cartier or other brands or you know there's a, there's a lot of that so he does he does he is doing something a little bit different i think in terms of both politics and commercialism and that commercial move is about going into uh, the mainstream. I mean, one of the collaborators, and there are many collaborators on this album, um, is Ed Sheeran, uh, who loves grime and is sort of on the record as a great sort of enthusiast for this genre. But he is making music that is very palatable, and some parts of the album are very soulful as well. It's interesting, there's a real neo-90s sound to some of this as well. He's sampling a lot of R&B. Um, there's that famous Praise You song by Mary Mary that he has sort of threaded in through one of the tracks. Um, he's talked about his admiration of American artists like Frank Ocean at the moment, another great figure in kind of the new wave of soul music or R&B. So there are grooves in this that are much less angry and much less you know, full of rage than you might imagine for a music that is from the street, supposedly, and is about a howl of protest. And yeah, he does like to pose as somebody who's more soulful, you know, who's more reflective, perhaps, you know, maybe more politically aware. Um, than some of the, the the kind of younger bucks who are only interested in kind of bragging about their own success. I think where you really see that different emphasis and him being a little bit more soulful is in the kind of question of gender, particularly, and how like he presents himself as a as a wounded man or as a damaged man. I mean, one of your favourite tropes, Zoe, is sort of masculine vulnerability. Um, how do you think Stormzy engages with that? Um, well, I just think before I before I get to masculinity, I mean, I think going back to this idea of, of you know Stormzy as soulful, I think there's also it's useful to think of here what the concept of a shrink is. A shrink <laughs> is someone that shrinks down someone's perception of themselves on all fronts. Stormzy's perceptions of himself, whether it's him being apologetic to his girlfriend, the TV presenter Maya Jama, who he broke up with and seems to be heartbroken about. Or this relentless depiction of himself literally as either Jesus or Henry VIII. Um, I think there are some delusions. Henry VIII is relentless. Okay, fine. There's one reference. But the crown. I'm sorry. The crown motif. Heavy is the head. I think there is a bit of delusion of grandeur going on here. Yeah. Um, So I I think, so, I mean, I I would say that if the bragging doesn't have a commercial emphasis, it has a a bit of an extreme self-elevation of his own importance that the world has bought into but there's no limit to how much he can compare himself to a king um or or to some sort of historical figure so but when he's comes- also speaking to those you know there's an opening uh, line of um superheroes which is young black kings don't die on me i mean he also is talking about a whole generation of black british teenagers as kings who are going to yeah. share in his triumph in but again ways. it's it's a very it's i'm not sure i like that register of everything you know there's this group who are kings and basically using this kind of royal language and, and what does that make everyone else like vassals or serfs or i mean i i don't know i'm not quite sure if i if i like that register anyway and i think that that there's a flip side to that in the way he deals with his sort of relationship to, to women um, in the sense that, Oh no, he doesn't, he doesn't 
denigrate women at all, really. I mean, there, there's a couple of kind of slightly off-putting terms used in Michael, I think. Is that the first song on the album? Um, <laughs> Big Michael, yes. Big Michael, but I, I can't go into those uh, for a polite <laughs> audience. But generally, he, he doesn't. And, and, that, and he's talking about his, his um, ex-girlfriend. And, and in that, he is also very dramatic. But he, he knows how to apologize. As we were discussing, he's, he's not a Lothario. That's not his persona. He, but he's, I'm not sure he's vulnerable either. He's, he's just very, um, he's, he sounds intense. I mean, he says, yep. this is a set of lyrics from, from the song Lessons, which is about the breakup. I can't even fathom what I probably had you going through. You cannot imagine how I'm sorry, man, I'm showing you. Now I haven't even got the luxury of knowing you. We was even meant to share a seed and let it grow in you. I can't even look you in the eye. That's because of shame. Now you're trying to block me out your, your mind. That's because of pain. Greatest love I ever knew. I poured it down the drain. I mean, this is good. This is good love stuff. Um, this is these are <laughs> impressive lyrics. But I would say it's it is a sort of fitting counterpiece to the man who thinks of everything in Shakespearean terms. But on the other hand, it is a new thing for a, a young man to be, in a sense, on a on a grime album crooning about lost love. I mean that that is a departure. I have to say so, and I think that does say something about masculinity. I mean we've talked again and again on this podcast about new expectations of masculine vulnerability, and especially. Through when we talked about on normal people showing damage and how damage and showing your emotional pain is literally, you know, on par with beating someone up, how you can demonstrate your masculinity. And I think it's really interesting that that's not just sort of delicate flowers at Trinity Dublin as in um, normal people, but Stormzy's doing the very same thing here. He, he talks about his pain. He apologizes. It's all about emotional uh, vulnerability. So I think that's interesting. Tom, would you say there's anything... I mean, I think there clearly is, but what's the relevance of how Britain focused and, and the fact that the setting of all this music is, is British and in fact, perhaps London? I mean, do you think that can really export well to the US or is it a bit, do you think it's inherently too parochial or is he perhaps widening it out to make it fit for a global audience? I think it waits to see whether he is going to be the person who does have the huge success in the US um, that people are anticipating. Um, one artist who clearly is making those bridges is, um, is Skepta. Um, and as I say, after winning the Mercury Prize in 2016, Skepta then set up his own uh, record company, uh, which is, I think, BBK. Um, and then it was spotted that Drake had had BBK tattooed on his arm. And now Drake has signed to Skepta's record label. So actually, we now have perhaps the biggest rap artist in the world signed and doing collaborations with this British artist, Skepta. So clearly something is happening in a kind of transatlantic way where this borrowing of styles is now also becoming a kind of shared kind of commercial think, interests and yeah. everything else. I think it's interesting because we've certainly, I well, we grew up as a generation listening to rap that was very much American and, and based in the kind of East-West geography of the US. So there would be the kind of New York versus LA neighborhood stuff would really underpin a lot of the rap that, that was famous and, and influential at the time. And it, what's interesting is that if this becomes global or, or based in, in the US, these are people going to be listening to very specific stuff about London neighborhoods. Nines, for instance, who is fantastic. And who Tom, remember, we went to see in Kentish oh, Town. You, I've never felt more alive, Zoe. Yeah, yeah. it was great. We, we were definitely the odd ones out, but we were clearly with, with, very, with very friendly, kind of amused smiles. But um, 
uh, but Nines is from Harlesden, Northwest London, and he talks about that. He talks about his, you know, being on the streets, corners, drugs, and ga- gangs. But these are very London references. There's a whole bunch of uh, Peckham-based artists that are really, you know, really becoming the, it, Peckham's really becoming the center of a lot of grime and drill. AJ Tracy's first, well, I'm not sure if it was his first, but it was his massive hit, Ladbroke Grove, which is part of West London. Um, Ms. Banks, who's fantastic. She, I'm not sure where she resides, um, but she raps, or she, she, she spits, I guess they say things like, I'm from the East Side, not Hackney. So we've got Hackney, Ladbroke Grove, Peckham, Harlesden. I mean, Stormzy puts British politics really at the heart of his persona. But I think what perhaps you and I would be driving at is that that British politics has now become increasingly a global politics. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the two things I'd say that is that this is the, the kind of adulation for Stormzy is, as I say, that he is very self-consciously um, the leader of a generation. Um, in some of his music videos, he's keen to have cameos from other uh, black British artists. So Idris Elba is name checked in the album and is also in the, the video for sort of Rossi Pop. The idea that you could have a black bond is itself a proof of this new kind of black British utopia. Um, similarly, uh, you know, he's really committed to working with youth groups and there's the famous Stormzy scholarships that he established at Cambridge um, and that he sings about on the album where he says that these are not racist, these are instead kind of pro-black scholarships. Um, so he really sees himself as talking to his people um, and looking out for the interests of his people. So Stormzy wants to make himself kind of part of a movement. Um, what the politics of that movement is, I think are a little bit harder to discern. As you say, there's a lot of government bashing, uh, the famous fuck Boris and fuck the government mantra in Vossibop. Um, Stormzy also stole the Brit Awards a couple of years ago with his uh, polemic about Grenfell at the time. So he's, he's a sort of avatar for a kind of angry urban uh, left. Um, but when it comes to some of the really difficult community issues like knife crime, which he alludes to in this, the album hasn't really got that much to say. And I felt, you know, if I was being a little bit critical, um, there's so much sort of soulful introspection um, that actually some of the more difficult conversations about uh, black British identity or forms of exclusion or, you know, forms of inequality in Britain, those things are winked at, but they're not really at the heart of what he's doing. It felt a little bit empty somehow, the middle of this album. I agree. It does. It that does feel empty, but you can also see why it fits so well with a mainstream Corbynite kind of knee-jerk group. Because you know he he's 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 trotting out the the truisms of of the of the Corbynite of the far left, really, but without fleshing them out in any kind of particularized way or, or, or without much of a yeah much of that vision that goes beyond just saying the obvious so you know some very clever lyrics like don't comment on my culture you ain't qualified okay so that's like cultural appropriation tick um, stab us <laughs> i think in the- we're breaking the rule here zoe i think i think he wants to put us back in our corner i think i think we i think we are a big we are in big trouble now big doo-doo <laughs> for even uh, going here yeah stab us in the back and then apologize i mean actually he might be right he's i think he might be onto something with that one this kind of cringing deference mm-hmm. at, you know following pros- real kind of race or history of racism and then if you knew my story you'd be horrified quite possibly and then the irony of trapping on a boris bike Okay, he's really got it in for Boris. Um, but on the other hand, it's quite, he probably quite enjoys zipping around on a Boris bike. But yes, it is ironic. But I mean, those sentiments of you know, cu- cultural appropriation, um, structural racism, don't comment if you haven't lived it, and then the kind of anti-Tory um, thing is pretty, 
pretty safe in a way and mm-hmm. kind of obvious and it doesn't differ that much from my Twitter feed um, yep. really. So I, I, yeah, I, I think, I think he's going that he's playing it pretty safe with that. And I think there could have been much more imaginative um, stuff about politics and, and race perhaps. Uh, contrast than, than I, draw. I, I agree Zoe. The contrast I draw is an artist like Beyonce who, you know, play my cards. I love Queen Bee, but I think what she's done in the past few years, which is amazing is actually, you know, re-embraced her kind of, you know, African-American identity in very radical ways. I mean, those who've seen um, the video for Formation, uh, this is Beyonce dealing directly with the legacies of slavery through tackling, you know, the imagery of the the American Gothic, the American South, and her famous Super Bowl performance where she had her dancers dressed up as versions of the kind of Black Panther movement. You know, one of the closing images from the video of Formation is the sinking of the police car, and it's a reference to the kind of Ferguson riots. I mean, this is a mainstream artist who is using visual means in particular. And I would say the thing about Beyonce that's amazing is these albums are also movies. Like, she's creating this whole visual world that goes with the sound, who is addressing really uncomfortable chapters of the American past um, and dealing really head-on with some of these legacies of slavery and legacies of um, segregation. So I think by comparison with American artists like Beyonce or like Kendrick Lamar, Stormzy is a kind of, is an artist struggling to find much political and social content, I think, um, in what he's singing about. And whether that's representative of a bigger divergence between, you know, black politics in the US and black politics in Britain, I think is a moot point. But you put, you know, Kendrick Lamar alongside Stormzy and the levels of both articulacy and rage in the American version of this compared to the British one is, I think, really striking. Yeah. And if you compare to the kind of god of rap, Drake, I mean, Drake, Drake has a whole kind of universe under his thumb that he's he's pretty much chronicled every aspect of human existence, which ties together the politics with the intensely personal. And I think Stormzy is really, really good on the intensely personal. But I think Mm -hmm. he has a long way to go on being radical without being vile i suppose because i mean i i'm not gonna i'm not you know for me it's like beyonce is interesting because she's not um she's not sort of difficult to listen to she's interesting to listen to she's making valid visual you know especially these these visual worlds she creates are sort of fascinating and, re- and resonate they're not sort of needlessly hostile you know they're not gratuitously nasty they're just they're just real um, and empowering. So, if I can give just one example, the mm. Beyonce album last year. Have you seen, have you listened to or seen Ape Shit, Zoe? No, I haven't. <laughs> this is Beyonce and Jay-Z in the Louvre. Now, like they're running, they're running a mock in my favorite building in the world. But, you know, the, it's incredibly visually powerful to see these African-American artists in front of some of the world's greatest paintings, deconstructing them. It is a gesture yep. of like, That's here we are in the heart of European culture and we're remaking it in our image. This I is do. completely revolutionary stuff. And I, but I do wonder if, you know, firstly, the US has a, has a much more longstanding and highly produced music industry in this area. I mean, there's, there's, they are drawing on a much longer tradition, I think, and a much more kind of expen- like well-funded uh, tradition than here so it's still re- you know, Britain of course has had really great rap and various forms of urban music for decades but it hasn't necessarily always been the kind of super sleekly produced big time with all the kind of all bells and whistles videos to go with it and I think that's another thing is that you know sometimes you just have to take your hat off to American entertainment culture it is just bigger and better and I think maybe you know perhaps Stormzy will be taken on by an American pr- I don't know, whatever they're called, 
producer or something and taken to America. And then he too will learn to kind of expand his, expand and, and sort of make more colorful in some ways, his, his lyrics and his, his, yeah, his canvas. Yeah. But I think at the moment he is slightly a victim of being in Britain and London, which just can be a bit claustrophobic uh, and a bit less wide ranging. So I think, I think it is a, it's a story of perhaps, you know, in London, how far can you go? Maybe not as far as Beyonce. Some of his worst problems in London at the moment involve things like jet lag, judging by the yeah, songs he, on this. I mean, yeah. the scope of his problems range from kind of, you know, you know, the disappointment of a generation through to his own kind of lack of sleep when he's been traveling too yeah. much. I mean, there are moments clock. of self-pity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> his body clock gets messed up by his jet lag. Um, so I, th- I, think, I think Stormzy is interesting. I think he's, I think his music can be really fun, but I don't think he... I don't listen to him and think, my God, this is my poet laureate. Whereas I, I do, and that's not simply a racial barrier. I, I do think that sometimes when I, when I, even when I listen to Drake. Um, yeah. So, so I think, I think he's got a ways to go. Tom, why the hype? So I think uh, this has been building for a while. I think he is the sort of most publicly acceptable face of a musical style, which has had a huge comeback in the past few years. Um, and that there are all these people around him who have been, I think, much edgier and more controversial than him, more experimental than him. And he's aware of that. I mean, that's why heavy is the head. Like he feels a sense of guilt that he's the one who's had the breakthrough, whereas there are others who perhaps have not had that chance and not had that platform um but there is something about Stormzy which can please pretty much everyone you know yes there is a sense of him speaking for sort of disenfranchised urban youth but there's also a lot of actually just pretty easy on the ear beats uh there's a like varied range of tempi um and then there's a the guy whose politics are a little bit challenging but who in lots of ways whether how he treats violence how he talks about women indeed you know Stormzy's even apologized for homophobic comments in the past which is also rare um for for rappers um this is a man who actually wants to be inclusive and as a result his politics are fundamentally fuzzy um you know and that might mean <laughs> he's maybe got slightly less to sing about than some people um, but yeah, he's, he's become a national treasure in the course of like five years, which, you know, is, a, is, is no mean feat. Zoe, why do you think the hype? No, I agree with you entirely. And I think just judging by sort of maybe colleagues or, or people who are much more sort of more clearly on the, on the late, on the far left, um, he, he fits that he's woke. He, they're woke. I mean, there's no jarring of, of political sensibilities or values at all. Whereas clearly AJ Tracy, the way he talks about, let's say, um, uh, manual stim- sexual stimulation. I can't quite see that working for a number of academics that I know who are very interested in, in you know, enhancing the presence of black uh, cultural material in curriculum. You can love him without compromise if you're if you're so politically inclined and you want the world to be a Corbynite world. Um, you know, you're not going to mind obscenity in relation to Boris Johnson, are you? Um, but you might mind obscenity in relation to women, or or you might mind you know, wanting guns and violence and what have you. And, and Stormzy navigates all that perfectly. So yeah, I think he is a very British poster boy. Uh, and some of the music is just great. I mean, look, I, I think the genre is very great. And I'm glad that Stormzy has resurrected it for a modern audience. And so, and so yeah, it's a fun, it's fun, it's a fun listen. 
I wouldn't call him a poet laureate for the generation, at least not for not for me. Um, but maybe that's but you do want Drake to have the Nobel Prize. I think so. And I would say like Salt and Pepper, which I grew up with, which is my <laughs> first like love. I mean, I want I think they were the poet laureates. They were such they were so great. And yeah, I think but I think Jake Drake really is the he's the Shakespeare. He's the sonnet writer of our time, possibly. I mean, there are there are others, too. But um, yeah, but not 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 yet Stormzy. It may become Stormzy, but for me, not yet. So that's all we have time for now. Join us next time for a discussion of the extremely topical um, Rennie Edo Lodges, why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. Bye.